We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is JJ Pegues and Cedric Johnson. And you're, you're listening, listening to, to the Oxford Exxon Podcast on MPW Digital. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MPW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in, but why am I going to give you a round of applause for something that you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. In this episode, I'll get you ready for Saturday's game in Tuscaloosa between number 15 Ole Miss, number 13 Alabama. Kickoff set for 2.30 p.m. I'll visit with three guests, Ryan Brown of the next round, Tony Sukulis of TideIllustrated.com, and former Alabama linebacker Corey Reamer, now a part of the Crimson Tide Sports Network. Please make the Oxford Exxon and Blue Sky a part of your football weekend. Stop by the Oxford Exxon on Highway 6 West in Oxford. You can fill up outside, grab some ribs inside. You can also check out their fantastic beer cooler. It's 34 degrees of sudsy goodness. I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studio, 662-257-1900. Call that number, ask for Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. Right to the bottom line, no hassle, no haggle. You get your quote. The rest completely up to you. You can shop that quote around. You can do what I've done, what I hope that you do, and that's hopping to a Clark Ford today, 662-257-1900. All guests join on the Campbell Clinic hotline. The Campbell Clinic is in Oxford now, 2608 South Lamar Boulevard, Suite 102, just across the street from the cottages at Hooper Hollow. The Campbell Clinic provides full-service orthopedic care, everything from sports medicine to foot and ankle surgery to spine and total joint care to pediatric orthopedics, physical therapy, and more. To book an appointment, go to CampbellClinicOxford.com or call 901-759-3111. Walk-ons always welcome at the Campbell Clinic, Monday through Friday, 7.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. And we're presented by Twisted Tea. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any hard beverage you've had before. It's made with real brewed teas, packs a flavorful punch, 5% alcohol, no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up any occasion, especially when you're cheering for your favorite team, whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar, or hosting friends at home. Twisted Tea is there to elevate game day experience. It perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable moments. 
So let's toast to unforgettable game day experiences with Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels, fun, and celebrates your love for college football. Keep it twisted. All right, we'll jump into these interviews now. I'm just going to do them one by one. I'm not going to transition between them. You'll get the, you'll be able to pick up the transitions. We'll start with Ryan Brown, then we'll go to Tony Sukulis. We'll finish up with uh, <clears throat> excuse me with uh, Corey Reamer. So we'll do that, and uh, I'll come back and close it out at the end. Enjoy. Ryan Brown of the next round in Birmingham, kind enough to spend some time with us here on, uh, I guess we're taping this on a Wednesday afternoon. You guys will probably see this on Thursday or Friday. Uh, Ryan, first of all, thanks for being in. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's always fun, Neil. You doing all right? I'm doing good. So it's been a full week here. So it's half a weekend, but it feels like a full week. Uh, I'll start here because Lane Kiffin on Sunday drew some attention when I think he planted a question uh, with the local media about, I know, uh, I can't prove that. Can't prove it, but I, I think it's true. Right. Um, if not, it was one hell of an astute observation by a media member that typically does not participate in the uh, in the teleconferences. So, <laughs> um, he said that uh, he believed, based on his experience at Alabama and his experience coaching against Alabama and coaching against Kevin Steele, the defensive coordinator at Alabama, that it was not Kevin Steele calling the plays at Alabama, that it was Traveris Robinson. Um, you just had Jeff Collins, you guys, at the next round. You and Jim yeah. Dunaway, Lance Taylor, you had Jeff Collins in studio on Wednesday. Jeff uh, comes on my show, McCready and Siski, every Monday and is – a uh, very astute defensive mind, uh, former head coach at Temple, head coach at Georgia Tech, former defensive coordinator at Mississippi State, Florida, other places. Also a former Alabama personnel director, so someone that has a knowledge of how things work inside uh, Nick Saban's um, castle, if you will. And so <laughs> what did he what did he say? You know, it was an interesting conversation, too. Uh, you know, Jeff, I mean, he's just a great football mind. You could sit and talk football with him, and I don't know football. He does. So, I mean, he's educating me, obviously. And I, my question to him was, all right, an experienced coach like Lane Kiffin, you know, look, and Jeff even said it, we all know what Lane's trying to do, but an experienced coach like him, do you think it would be that obvious that he could sit down and watch film with, 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 with no other prior knowledge and say, you know what? Somebody different is calling defense right there. That's not what Kevin would do. And he said, potentially, he said, but let me tell you what I did. He goes, when uh, Lane said that, he goes, I saw it, obviously. And he goes, I know all the principles involved here. He said, so I just went to the coach's film. And he said, I watched it for myself. And he said, if you watch the Texas film and the South Florida film, it is two totally defensive, uh, different defensive approaches. He said, however, you got to remember that Alex Gillish, the, uh, the, South Florida coach came from Tennessee and he's running the hypo system. And he said, that system forces you to play differently. He said, if it's Kevin still calling, if it's anybody, you're going to play it differently, no matter what, just because of that system, you can't do your normal stuff. He's like, so if you watch the two films, absolutely. It's a different approach defensively. And any experienced coach could see that, but there is a reason why, if you know the whole story and the whole story is, you're playing an offensive system that forces you to change things like that. And he said, so I, I could see it. Now, let me just say this. The, Lane Kiffin is not the only person that has been saying this, that T-Rob that might be calling the defensive signals now for Alabama. 
But I also would say if you're just basing it on the fact that he's on the sidelines, he's looking down, he's calling things in, Kevin still is in the booth. So he's going to have to relay it to someone who then relays it into the players. So I, I don't know that you can just base it on that. But I, I did think it was interesting that a football mind like Jeff said, watching the game, yeah, there was a different defensive approach that you could say somebody else is calling this defense unless you look at it globally and realize it's because of the offense they're facing. Obviously, Lane, regardless of who's calling the defense and all that stuff, Lane is very clearly trying to stir up something inside that building. He's trying to – he implied that, hey, you know, we talk to people inside that building. We, we hear things, right? I mean, he, that, that, that is designed to irritate, to agitate, in my opinion. I think you share that. I thought the Monday tweet was more interesting than the Sunday comment because whatever, yeah. right? It's, it's a defense. It's Alabama's defense. It's on film. You, you generally know. The Monday tweet, the Taylor Swift castle crumbling thing, how'd that go over in Alabama? Did, I'm sure it was for you guys. It was like, hello, programming. But, uh, I mean, how did that go over in, in, in that state? How do you guess that went over inside the building in Tuscaloosa? Oh, I, you know, I, because I think the castle crumbling thing. Well, let me answer the first question first. The first question, um, you got a pretty heavy eye roll from Alabama fans. Ill. But now let me just tell you this. Alabama fans, whether they want to admit it or not, are in a pretty big state of concern right now over the state of this football program, which sounds insane to say about Alabama, but it's true, of the current state of this football program with Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss coming to town. This is a very losable game. Nick Saban has never at Alabama lost two games in the month of September. And Alabama fans know losing this game will knock you out of the national championship hunt. They also know this was an eminently losable game in Oxford last year. I've heard you say it many times. You are not alone in saying it. If there weren't a guy named Bryce Young playing quarterback at Alabama, they lose this game. For sure. So, yeah, all those things are true, right? Alabama fans know all those things. So there is a heightened level of panic that we've never really had. Had Alabama beaten Texas, it wouldn't exist. Well, had they beaten Texas, they wouldn't have done what they did. And looking for a quarterback at South Florida last week, Alabama fans will be eminently confident about this game. The point spread will probably be more 14 than it is seven. And Alabama fans will be like, same old Lane Kiffin, same old Ole Miss, not a problem. But this is a fan base that's at a heightened level of, um, of panic right now. Um, as far as in the facility with the castle crumbling, I think if you pair that up, because to me, like you said, Nick Saban actually came out and addressed the old, you know, is Kevin still calling defense or not, which yeah, I found interesting that he immediately addressed it in his Monday press conference, didn't credit Lane, but just said, you've all heard the rumors and things like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. The castle crumbling thing paired up with him doubling down. Now Lane doubling down and saying word came from inside the facility. Let me tell you, if you want to get under Nick Saban's skin quicker than anything, you tell him people inside your building are telling me what's going on. Um, it's been a couple of years back. There was there were some reports about some things that had gone on inside the program. Nothing salacious, but just like personnel moves and things like that. And Nick Saban in a press conference told the media, look, I understand you all have a job to do, but you all are going to get somebody fired. Basically saying, if, if you all are talking to sources inside the building and I find out who they are, I'm firing them. I mean, this is – he – that is as tight a ship. It's, it's, it's at times really difficult to get any information out of that building. So that was a calculated shot. Lane Kiffin worked there. He knew how serious Nick Saban took that. So when you say that and you come back and say the castle, the kingdom is crumbling, you pair those two together. That's about as big a shot as you could take at Nick Saban right now. 
All right, you say this is a losable game. I think it's a losable game for Alabama. I think it's a winnable game, obviously. They're favored. Most people are picking them to win. Um, But I I do think they're vulnerable. You've watched Alabama. You get paid to watch Alabama. You have to watch Alabama. you got to talk about Alabama. You've watched probably every snap they've played so far this season. What are they? Uh, That is a great question. Um, They are a team that last week, for better or worse, identified their quarterback. I I can at least say that. I mean, it's going to be Jalen Milrow. I think Nick Saban, in a lot of ways, that score is going to get people's attention. But in a lot of ways, Nick Saban, I think, used that game as a scrimmage. He would never in a million years admit that. But I think, you know, he realized you could line up and play as base as you want and beat South Florida. So let's see what we got at quarterback. It's our last chance to do it because conference play starts and the schedule only gets more difficult. So see what you got at quarterback. See if you've got a guy that can be better than Jalen Milrow. Uh, They went Tyler Buckner, question answered. Nowhere close to Jalen Milrow. Ty Simpson showed a little promise, but I think if you're being honest about it, you're like, that needs some development there. And and here's the thing about Milrow. So Milrow, if Tommy Reese, which he did not do against Texas, will use his legs, some designed runs for Milrow against Ole Miss in the future schedule. It's going to do a lot of things. Number one, uh, it's going to keep safeties from being able just to step back and take away the deep ball. That's Milrow's best pass. The more he runs, the more safeties have to come to the line, so it opens up the deep ball. It's going to slow down the pass rush, which Alabama is bad at dealing with. It's going to help your traditional run game. Jason McClellan and Roy Dell Williams have shown great promise, and Alabama blocks better for the run than they do for the pass. And overall, it masks the, probably the biggest weakness on offense right now, which is they cannot protect the passer. So just some designed runs help all those things. And that was some of the criticism, the criticism Tommy Reese has been getting from the Texas game. There were no screens or anything to slow down a pass rush that you couldn't block, and you just didn't have any designed runs for Milrow. Can they work some of that in? If they do, I think they've got a workable offense. I don't think the defense has been all that bad. I mean, the defense – you got to remember that Texas game deal was 16-13 going to the fourth quarter. And that defense had been asked to make some big holds, and they did. They finally broke in that fourth quarter, but they were out on the field so much just because Alabama couldn't really move the football. And lots of high leverage, lots of high leverage snaps for that defense, too, where the game's on the line play after play. That's draining. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you had no offensive support. Now, last week, the quarterback for South Florida had a lot of rush yards. They didn't – They. They didn't really run the ball traditionally against Alabama. Um, that was just a weird game last week. I don't, I don't even know what to make of that game. But I would say overall, Alabama's a solid defensive team. <clears throat> and they've got potential to have a workable offense if they take advantage of what Milrow does best, and that's run the football. I've been saying that for Ole Miss, this is, this is a – it feels crazy to say this this early in the season. This feels like one of those games that it's either a huge win or it's a huge loss. I, I can't I can't spin it another way. Maybe I'm and I might be dead wrong. Okay. Maybe we'll look back at the end of the year and be like, no, man, that was a really bad take on your part. Certainly possible. Won't be the first one, probably won't be the last one. But it feels like for Ole Miss, a win is this hurdle leaped. It is you got to the this you're trying to get to the mountaintop, and there's this one of the mountains in the range that you're on, you just always keep sliding yeah. down it. You never can get past it. This is a big spot for them that allows them to look at the mountaintop and go, well, okay, we've got a shot now to get to it. And a loss yeah. is just debilitating because if you lose to this Alabama team after all the bluster, it's, hey, 
maybe we just can't do this. Maybe, maybe this can't be done. Maybe we need to stop talking so much. A lot of that stuff, right? And then LSU's right around the corner, and it could spiral yeah. a little. It just feels feels huge from your perspective of state over watching Ole Miss less closely than than I do. Do you you, you buy that at all, or am I over am I well, overshooting? Well, I mean, I would just approach it from all right. Ole Miss has never been to Atlanta, so if you're going to make it to Atlanta in the last year of the West, what are you going to have to do? Well, you're probably going to have to be – you're definitely going to have to beat either Alabama or LSU. Yeah. You really need to beat both of them, right? Yeah. Now, you, you can could, you could remove a lot of doubt by beating both of them. Because you got a trip to Georgia at the end of the year. See, if you beat both of them, the trip to Georgia doesn't – it's a free shot. It doesn't hurt you. That's right. That's an East game, yeah. Now, you know, Texas A&M could factor into this. Yeah. We'll see about them. But you're, you're, you're probably going to have to beat both of them. And then I – so you stop and look at that and you say, okay, well, where do I have to go? Do I have to go to Bryant-Denny or Tiger Stadium? you got to go to Bryant-Denny. So if you can get this one, then at least for whatever it's worth – but I'm right about that, right? LSU comes yeah. to Oxford. Next week. Next yeah. week. Yeah, next week. So you get them back-to-back weeks. May as well do that, right? May as well just go ahead and knock out both if you can. And at least you get LSU coming to your place. Now, three weeks ago, you felt a lot better about it than you did after Saturday when they just dominated State. But I'm just saying, this would be winning the road game, getting one of the two you got to beat out of the way, and you beat the one on the road. Um, how they would handle that, I don't know. I mean, we've never really seen that under Lane Kiffin. It would seem like it would take a lot to get that team back down for LSU. But until you vanquish one of those two or both of those, your chances of going to Atlanta are very, very low. So I don't, I don't disagree with that assessment of it from the outside looking in. I would say the one that concerns me the most is one I got to play on the road. Is LSU probably better than Alabama right now? Yeah, but I get them at home. Why do you think Lane Kiffin is so geeked up for this game every year? Is it's because it, it's not just the hey I used to coach there thing? Because I mean, there's a lot of guys right at this point that used to coach at Alabama that they worked for Saban. They 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 respect Saban. Blah blah blah. I mean, we've heard, done it so many times that it's I don't even pay attention to the Lane Kiffin questions about Nick Saban anymore we we've been down this road (laughs) but he just can't this week comes and it's not like every other week you know he does this pro mindset thing that's their deal pro mindset pro mindset why'd you bring in Spencer Sanders because my job is to make the room every room competitive every room competitive that's what they do in the NFL it's pro mindset well in the NFL you don't really see teams go hey this game in September is the end-all be-all it's this monumental thing let me do all these jabs and he does it. Why do you why do you think that is? Is it here's my theory. My theory is that Lane Kiffin doesn't like Nick Saban as much as Lane Kiffin pretends to like Nick Saban, that he respects him, but I think that personally he really wants to get him and he knows he's running out of chances. Well, it did not end well uh between he and Saban. So there would be reason that you could think he doesn't like Saban. Um I, I think there are a couple of things. I think number one, he's in that fraternity of coaches. And a lot of those coaches have started beating Nick Saban. Kirby Smart has now done it. Jimbo Fisher has now done it. Um, Sark. You know, you, 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 uh, Steve Sarkeesian has now done it. Absolutely. And now you're the one guy in that group that used to send the text about, ha, 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 Nick, you know, oh, we can't beat Nick. And now all of a sudden, all your other peer groups done it, and you haven't yet. So I, I, do think, I do think that plays into it. I think part of it, too, is to use an old dating analogy. Like, you always want your ex-girlfriend to think you're winning the breakup, right? And especially if you could go to Tuscaloosa win this game, but anytime you beat them, there are a lot of ex-girlfriends. Well, boy, that is a bad analogy here. <laughs> um, there are, let me say it this way, there are figuratively, okay, figuratively, yes. a lot of ex-girlfriends in Tuscaloosa for Lane that a win here, and you look at that and say, see? See what I'm doing now? 
you 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 could have kept me. You could maybe have me when coach retires. But you see what I'm doing now, right? I'm winning the breakup. I'm living right. I'm living good. My program's on an upward trajectory. Yours, you know, what do you what, what do you got now? And I do think there's probably while he plays nice and says nice things about Nick Saban, um, I do think there's probably. I mean, he he probably didn't like the way all of that ended when Nick Saban basically told him, I know I've got a national championship game coming up. I don't want you to be part of it. I'll I'll, I'll hand the plays off to Steve Sarkeesian and let him call the game. Uh, you're that interchangeable. You just go coach FAU. And I'm sure, I'm sure that hurt. And um, so, yeah, I think there's probably some bad feelings there. All right, you mentioned Saban retiring as we start to wrap up. Um, I don't know how much you guys talked about it. Probably a good bit. I've talked about it a little bit. Glenn Gilbo had a story over the weekend. I've known Glenn for a long, long time. I think he's a good reporter. He covered Saban at LSU. He's very connected, kind of in SEC circles. He's with OutKick now. And I think because he's with OutKick, a lot of the mainstream media people didn't pick the story up because they don't like Clay. Uh, That's that's the reality. I'm, I'm I'm familiar with that phenomenon. Yes, Clay comes on our show every week. Clay's yeah. on your show every week. Uh, you know, that's right. A lot of mainstream media people they they view Clay as a grifter and they don't like him because he's conservative yeah. and he all that stuff. Right. And so they're angry with him and and it's just a inside. There's some inside baseball for you. Yep. So they didn't yep, pick yep. up on this story, but I did. I looked at it and went, "Huh, interesting," because Glenn Gilbo quotes someone who he claims very close to Nick Saban. I know Glenn knows people who are close to Saban who said, hey, it may not be this year, but if it's not this year, it's next year. Saban is setting himself up to walk away. I know Nick has denied that, but you're around it. He does seem a little different. It does seem like the, yeah. the dynasty has is, is coming to an end. It's been one hell of a run, right? I mean, no matter how it ends, it's been amazing what he's done. Do you did you did that story catch your attention? It did a little bit. Now you got to remember, you hear that a lot around here, though. The old the speculation. Um, I, I can remember it as far back as well, twenty thirteen, when uh, Gus Malzahn in his first year beat Alabama. That was the kick six game, and Alabama struggled with that offense. Um, they had struggled with it when Cam Newton was the quarterback in ten. They struggled with it when Nick Marshall was the quarterback at thirteen, when Gus was actually the head coach, not just the coordinator. And I remember that was, you know, when Colin Coward infamously said, Nick Saban has been passed. The SEC is Gus Malzahn football, not Nick Saban football anymore. That was a horribly bad opinion. Nick Saban has won multiple championships since then. Um, so that was that was just wrong. But that was, you know, from that point on, I remember the 2014 game. Ole Miss fans will remember this well. Um, when Ole Miss is beating Alabama in Bryant-Denny Stadium in the third game of the year. Um and Dan Walken of USA Today, basically Alabama comes back on the field and he says something along the lines of, it feels like the game and much more than that is in the balance on this drive. Basically insinuating Nick Saban's, you know, future is on the line here. And, you know, I think he even wrote the retirement column after the game. And uh, wrong. so, you know, yeah, well, <laughs> it was Dan. Um, so I, I mean, it has been time and time and time again, to the point that those things do just start to wash over you. I will say this, Gil, uh, Glenn Gilbo does know Nick Saban very, very well. Like I can remember when LSU first came to Tuscaloosa after Saban took the job, uh, in 2007, I was at the weekly press conference and when the press conference was over, there were a handful, Glenn was one of them, a handful of LSU beat writers that had come to that press conference. 
And normally Nick Saban finishes. He's kind of up on a stage area. He walks off the stage, goes out the side door back to his office. That day he came off the stage and he walked up to every one of those LSU guys that shook their hands and, you know, told him it was good to see him. It had been a minute, um, you know, just kind of a rare human moment with the media there. Um, but, but they're only changing him, Nick Saban. This is kind of interesting, Neil, that you brought this up. I was, um, for whatever reason, I've gotten sucked into TikTok. I guess it's because I had a teenager in the house before she went off to college. I don't know. I got a short attention span. TikTok's great for me. I know I'm a Chinese uh, plant now. But uh, TikTok, you know, it just it's, it's quick videos that I can just watch and keep scrolling through because I got a short attention span. But there was one that was like a super cut of Nick Saban's meltdowns, like just blasting players on the sidelines and stuff like that. And I watched it and I remember them all. But then I was like, you know, I hadn't seen that Nick Saban in a while. Yeah. Like that guy has disappeared. The guy that would just, you know, headphones off and just red faced, just spitting nails, man. That guy has disappeared. He doesn't really exist anymore in the game. And um, I don't know if it's age. Some people have said it's, it's that he's become a grandfather. Uh, some people have insinuated that with the transfer portal, as active as it can be, that he has realized I got to coddle players a little bit more because I can't just jump their ass every time they do something wrong and they'll be in the portal. Um, you know, so there, there could be a lot of reasons why, but that, that guy and former players have said, this. it's not just me saying it because some stupid TikTok video. Uh, we've had former players that on this show have said, I didn't play for that guy. Yeah. I love him. He's still the greatest there's ever been, but that guy didn't exist when I played at Alabama. All right, last thing. I don't know if you've made a pick or whatever. By the time this shows up, you may have already done it. Uh, what's your kind of gut feeling as to what's going to happen Saturday in Tuscaloosa? Uh, this is such a hard Alabama team to figure out. Um, I have watched a lot of Ole Miss. I did not watch week one, but I watched a great – I watched all of the Tulane game, and I watched uh, just about all of the Georgia Tech game as well. And – if I'm Ole Miss, the thing that worries me is I'm asking a lot of Jackson Dart in the run game. And that has actually been a way to beat Alabama. They play so much man coverage that quarterbacks that get flushed, if they can get past that initial rush, there's often a lot of running room there. So that is something of great concern to Alabama in this game. But Ole Miss's inability to run the ball effectively in the traditional run game with Quinshawn Judkins has been puzzling to me. I, I expected. That you just pick up right where it left off last year. So I think you got Lane Kiffin, who's having to call plays without his fastball just a little bit in the run game. Though Lane is very, very good at calling plays. And I think this Alabama defense is better maybe than it has looked. Um, so normally I would say Alabama big in this game. I think Vegas has it about right. I think Alabama wins this by somewhere three to seven points. I think it's going to be a tight game, kind of like last year. Alabama squeaks out a win. If Ole Miss wins this game, it does not surprise me. But I, I am not at all confident in what I just said to you in this pick because this has been an impossible Alabama team so far to figure out. As always, my friend, thank you for the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's always great, Neil. Thank you very much, man. Tony Suklas, the managing editor of uh, – TideIllustrated.com, part of the Rivals Network, kind enough to spend some uh, some time with us here on this extra edition, uh, previewing Ole Miss at Alabama on Saturday. Um, Tony, the good news is whenever these two teams get together, especially with Lane Kiffin at the head coaching position at Ole Miss, there's no lack of storylines. I mean, there's no lack of drama. They, by God, give it to us uh, in spades, and here we have it again again this year. They don't even know where to start. I'll start here. 
<laughs> yeah, get your popcorn ready. I'll start here. You cover Alabama. You've been around Saban and all those guys. How do you think all of this social media stuff has played in Tuscaloosa, in that building this week as they get ready for uh, the Rebels? Yeah, I, I think Lane Kiffin's doing everything you, you can to just make Nick Saban's week as, as hard as it as it could be. And I think that that's just part of it. Whether or not, you know, I, I don't know how serious, you know, you know, he wants to be with all this or, you know, if he really thinks he's going to impact the way, you know, Nick Saban, but he's been a, he's been a pain in Nick Saban's butt and that's mission accomplished for Lane, you know, bringing this up on, on, on a Sunday before Nick, uh, you know, can kind of address things, uh, adding an extra wrinkle when Nick Saban has to deal with his quarterback competition. I just think this is the kind of like mastery that like, Lane Kiffin can do that it just adds up and it creates a, enough little distractions that I don't think any of you know what happened this week is is you know a big deal or it's going to be you know really make things tougher on Nick Saban or really cause too much drama but it's just another pain that he has to deal with um, during a time when you know he, he's already kind of down in his program and it's just a you know, Lane can kind of throw up his hands like, oh, I wasn't doing anything. And it's just so brilliant the way he kind of just like plays uh, this situation like a fiddle. You know? All right. So let's dive into both of the things, because the first is that he he said uh, that it's not Kevin Steele's defense right now. It looks like Traveris Robinson is calling the plays. I will tell you that I've talked to other people in Alabama in media who think that's true. Nick Saban denied it. He said, hey, it's Kevin Steele's defense. He's the defensive coordinator. Nothing's changed. Hey, we changed the machinations on some things. Uh, Lane comes back with, Hey, look, you know, I mean, I, I, I did, I, I was, did, like you said, I mean, I just, you asked, which is, of course it was planted question. Uh, you asked and, and I answered and, and, uh, you know, we, we talked to people, which I thought it was Lane Kiffin's way of saying, Hey, you got a, there's a mole inside your building. That's something else for you to worry about right now. Uh, Nick, you got, you got somebody talking to us. Pete used to work there. He still knows people. I know people, everybody knows people. We all know people and people are talking and, and they're saying that it's, it's, um, Traveris Robinson's defense. So twofold question. One, do you put any validity into that claim? And two, does it even matter? It's still Nick Saban's defense, right? Yeah, I know. I've heard, I've heard some rumors too, that it it, it could be T Rob calling the defense. Um, I tend to think that, you know, we're, we're early on in this, that I'm still a little bit skeptical. I mean, but, but then again, with the way that Kevin Steele was hired and it, you know, he wasn't necessarily the first choice. So, I mean, like, maybe uh, it would make sense that, you know, if things went wrong, they, they would switch to another, you know, person. They, they've kind of done that before. I mean, Tosh LaFoy was the defensive coordinator and Pete Golding was the one calling it, you know, during that that first season with Pete. So it's not necessarily out of Alabama's playbook for, for that to happen. I wouldn't be shocked. I, I still am a little bit skeptical, and I've heard some rumors too, but... I don't know, but to answer your second question, I don't think it really matters. I, you know, it still is Nick Saban's defense, but the what I was telling you about before is it just adds another just thorn in Nick Saban's side, whether it's he has to worry about a uh, a mole or whether or not he's just going to have to, you know, it's a little bit embarrassing. Um, he might have to deal with some drama with, with Kevin and, you know, it kind of discredits the job Kevin's done if, if, you know, if he really is doing it. So, um uh, I just think it just adds a little bit of drama, just a little bit, anything he can do to kind of make Nick's week a little bit harder. And I don't think it's going to make it much harder. I don't think this is a major problem for Alabama, but it's just kind of 
a great little jibe, you know, uh, you know, that he can just kind of do um, that, that really takes no effort from Lane. Uh, and, and it just makes Nick Saban's world a, a little bit harder. All right. Question two. And this is the bigger one because I agree. The other thing's kind of like, whatever. I mean, they're going to people calling defenses. They, they, they they're going to have a plan and know what they're going to do. Both of them are going to have input on it and all that stuff. Lane Kiffin tweets on Tuesday morning, uh, a Taylor Swift song. Now, it's possible that Lane just was having a Taylor Swift moment. I, I don't believe that. It's Castles Crumbling by Taylor Swift. Uh, the lyrics to that song are uh, something else. Um, We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Is the castle crumbling? It, are we are we being too premature on this? I mean, this is if if you are to believe what he's intimating, it is that hey, the dynasty is almost over. Uh, it's 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 crumbling. You had a hell of a run, but it's 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 coming to an end. Do you put any stock in that? You're around it every day. So I've been asked this question a bunch over the last few years. Like, what is the dynasty is not just going to die, and what does that even mean? Like, you know, it's not like somebody's going to take over Alabama and won't be able to compete at football anymore. and They won't be able to win anymore. You know, I had this conversation with someone and said, like, what if Clemson was to win a championship this year? Does that mean that we like extend their dynasty from before <laughs> over on into this one? Like, no, you know, like so and, and to that regard, I think the dynasty is already dying and it's been dying. It's been on a downhill. I mean, Alabama used to, you know, be a different they're not the same Alabama they were five years ago or seven years ago you know I mean it's I don't think that Alabama it's dead in the fact that I still think Alabama's a contender even with as bad as this season has started I I mean do you look at cross college football if Alabama can get some momentum with a win against Ole Miss and I think the SEC is kind of down this year you could make a, a really strong case that they could get back to the playoff I, I, I personally right now don't see that happening but I think you could make a case. Um, so, yeah, but I do think that the dynasty is dying. I don't think it's dead unless, you know, what do you want to call dead? But um, <laughs> Alabama's struggling on the road against USF. Look how many close games Alabama had. It used yeah. to be like they won every single game by like 20 or, you know, 25 points. And then they'd get caught every now and then. Now it's like even the games that they win. Look at the game against Ole Miss last year. Yeah. I mean, no one talks about that one, but they almost lost that. You know, I mean, so – 
um yeah it's, it's a totally different kind of you know team or they having to scrape by on situations where you wouldn't have they wouldn't have had to scrape by in the past so um they're not as dominant anymore there's also i, I i'm not sure we're going to get anybody as dominant as alabama was uh, in college football with the way that people can rebuild in the transfer portal where what you can address needs the constant you know changing of rosters i mean look at the georgia team last year uh, i didn't think that that was necessarily all that great of a team um but you know to kirby smart's credit it was able to get you know do what it had to do and it got the breaks it needed and you know went undefeated but um i don't know if we have these teams that just roll over people anymore in college football yeah, I think that's true. Um, I, I don't, I don't even. I, I'm with you. I, I, I had that conversation with someone. I'm like, well, how do you define the death of the dynasty? I mean, how does that work? I mean, they don't win it every year anymore. Because yeah, it, that's over. No one's ever going to do that again. No, the the run that Saban had for 15 years, where he won was it six titles, seven titles. I, I lose track. Literally, that's that's how good he, they they they're so good that you lose track of how many titles. We all know Georgia's won two. Right? No, no, think about it. Georgia's won two. How many, how many Saban win? You're like, I don't know, six, seven, eight, five. Six Alabama, seven with LSU. Yeah. Um, seven. Yeah. So, I mean, the run that he had where you where he dominated the sport for a decade and a half, I don't think anyone's ever going to do that again, Saban included. Uh, you know, it's, it's just impossible, I think, in, in today's NIL and pay-for-play and uh, all the stuff that's going on with the transfer portal and all of those things. I don't think one program can just go win – 40% of the titles in, in a decade and a half. I just don't think that's, that's realistic. So yeah, that, that part's dead, but um, how here's the, maybe the better question. How vulnerable is Alabama right now compared to maybe what it was a year ago? Oh, a hundred percent completely vulnerable. I mean, uh, they're a beatable team. I don't necessarily right now see much of a difference in Alabama than I do a, a lot of sec teams. Like r really right now between Alabama and Ole Miss, they're kind of, until Alabama can figure out its offense, I think they're kind of the same team in terms of, you know, across the board who I would pick to win a game. I think you can pick Ole Miss to win a lot of games. You can pick Alabama to win a lot of games, but you're not, you know, they're not untouchable. And I think that that's pretty, you know, I'm not trying to even diss Ole Miss here. It's just they're on the brains yeah, sure. this week. Um, I think that, you know, that's kind of where Alabama is. And that's kind of a, a diss to Alabama from what it's been like. I don't think they normally compare themselves with the likes of, you know, Ole Miss or the likes of, you know, maybe Texas A&M, but that's kind of, um, if you take those kind of contenders in the SEC, but not necessarily contenders in the uh, national scheme of things, you could almost make the point that Alabama is there right now. Now, I think that the Alabama can develop back into a national contender, but they certainly don't look like one right now. They look like a team that can contend for an SEC title. It's probably, you know, probably not going to win one, but, you know, could contend they're in it, they're, but I don't think they're necessarily a team that you circle anymore, at least over the first three weeks as a, this team is really has a, a legit shot at the national title. Uh, it's just not playing that way. They, um, I think it could get that way. I think it go, I think, you know, I think they could build themselves back and I think that they have a lot of talent on this roster, but the way that they're playing, you just, yeah, they're very vulnerable. They don't play like Alabama or I guess like Alabama anymore. So. They've had such a run of quarterbacks, right? Jalen Hurts and Tua Tungabaloa and Mac Jones and Bryce Young, and now they're they're trying to figure it out at quarterback these first few weeks. It's Jalen Milrow on Saturday; he'll be the starter, according to Nick Saban. Um, are you surprised at all that it's Milrow? And what 
does Ole Miss encounter going up against um, Milrow? It's just so weird that, you know, I was weirded out that if you were going to play Milrow the whole game against Texas, why didn't you play him at all against South Florida? And then if you're not going to play him at all against South Florida, why are you suddenly making him your starter? I mean, Nick Saban doesn't name starting quarterbacks. You know, he's never really done that. Uh, so for him to come out and name Jalen Miller, the starting quarterback after not playing him the week before, it's just so bizarre. So in, in that terms, I'm surprised. Let me, really let me interrupt you for a second. Let me interrupt you for a second. Is it possible? And I'm just asking, cause these rumors are out there and I know you're, you, you, you can't confirm or deny rumors when you don't know yourself, but there was talk about locker room dissension about who the quarterback was, that Milrow was sort of the, the, the player's choice. Uh, they, they went, at, they, they looked at Buckner, they looked at Simpson, Maybe Milrow didn't handle that very well, and maybe he was in the doghouse a little bit in Tampa, but maybe this was to appease, not appease the players, but to get the players back confident and going and fired up. Is, is, it, is it even conceivable that that's the case? I think, yeah, in terms of naming him the starting quarterback, yeah, I think you almost have to do that you know, to a certain extent to, to build back his confidence because it is so weird that you have a starting quarterback that you just decided not to play in a game that was close. It'd be one thing if they, you know didn't play Jalen Milrow and, you know, Ty Simpson or uh, Tyler Buckner had a good game against South Florida and they were just overmatched. And then he just went back to, to, to um, Jalen Milrow, but you know, they needed Jalen Milrow at times uh, against South Florida and they could have really used him and they didn't use him. So I, that was just, like I said, puzzling. It, it could, I, I, there is some rumors about like that. It could be, you know, I don't want to say like a suspension, but that could have been like the reason why he didn't play is, more he more so got bumped because of maybe the way he handled the week of practice whether it be through you know something he said or the way he acted maybe he pouted during the week i, I don't have those answers but that those are th- ideas and theories and rumors that have been kicked around and you know to be to be fair they, they kind of i could see where they would make sense you know we, we've seen narratives like that in, in college football um obviously as close as the game was it's two touchdown game it, they, I think Nick Saban knew he didn't necessarily – he could get by with very little and still beat South Florida. It's not a good team. Um, so I don't know. And I think that, you know, maybe he needed to kind of, like you said, spruce things back up, the, give Milrow the confidence he needs heading into a matchup, give the players the guy. The thing that puzzles me, though, is uh, why not do that on a Wednesday why not do that internally? You you basically talk about like the gamemanship of this week. You you gave Nick, uh, you gave Lane Kiffin an advantage that you didn't necessarily need to give him. Uh, now whether or not Lane Kiffin, you know, maybe he does have a mole in the in the uh, system, and maybe he already knew it was going to be Milrow. But still, I thought it was a kind of a weird move to name a starting quarterback um, on a Monday when you you could have just kept that internal. He's obviously a really good runner. Um, can he throw it enough to keep defenses honest? Yeah, I mean, look, he's leads the SEC in in deep passing, you know, and in terms of, you know, but it's that intermediate game that he has to work on. He, he didn't look good against Texas to, with, with intermediate passing. He, he has a tendency when he gets kind of pressured or, you know, nervous to stare down receivers, and those can result in, in big plays. And um, if you can bait him into that, you can get a turnover off of him. Um so the intermediate passing is a concern, but it's not like he can't pass the ball. I mean, they've hit some big plays. Um, I think if you roll them out uh, and, and, and have those big options and, and, you know, really, 
I think what it's, what it's going to have to be is they're going to have to use them the right way. They can't use them the way that they've been using other quarterbacks. I think you need to have designed runs. I think you need to have short screen passes. Um, bring the defense in and then hit them deep. Because the one thing that you know that he can do is, is, is hit them deep. That's the one thing. It's, it's kind of weird. Last year he struggled with that. But this year, that's the thing he's done, you know, excellently. So I, if I was, you know, if you put me in charge of the offensive coordinator for a second – I'd, I'd have a lot of screens. I'd have inside, you know, runs with him um, enforce, you know, Ole Miss to crowd the box and then not all of a sudden roll out, uh, have him buy some time and then and hit, you know, somebody like Isaiah Bond for a 50 yarder. And then you have to spread the defense back out and it just opens up, you know, plays for the other things. But I don't necessarily think you have to treat him like this pro style quarterback. I think if you were to run the ball 15 times with Jalen Miller every, every week, that might be the way to use him, you know? And I, I don't think that's insulting him. I think as a college quarterback, he can be a really dangerous college quarterback. But if you try to play him the way that you're doing, you know, Mac, jo- the way that you played Mac Jones or the the way that you played Bryce Young, it's just not going to work because he's not there yet. If those two passers could, could throw the ball at the, the intermediate game. And right now at the moment, Jalen can't do that. I, I think you're going to have to be a lot more creative. They, they need someone per se, like a, like a Gus Malzahn, who's going to be able to just, you know, do some, they need a funky offense to kind of play to his strengths. And, you know, is Tommy Reese going to do that? I think that's going to define his success in year one. Yeah. And you wonder, can you put all that together in, in, in a week or two, you know, how much of that can you, can you effectively install? How much of that is, is already there? How much of, how much of that is, yeah, just that. I mean, how much can you get assuming that it's not in the package yet? How much of that can you, put in on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday to get ready for a Saturday game? Well, you know, and I was talking with a um, little guess, a little bit of an exclusive here, but I was talking with, you know, some sources and um, there's been some frustration, you know, from some on the Alabama side that there are plays and, and things that they have in the offense that they haven't used yet. Uh, and there was some frustration on some of the things that you would necessarily think would help Jalen that weren't necessarily used um during the Texas game, you know, and I think so maybe Alabama hasn't shown its full offense and I don't know why they were saving it. I don't know if that was just situationally in the Texas game, things went a way that they weren't expecting and they didn't do it, but there, there are supposedly some, some short passes, um, some, some running, some design runs from Jalen that, you know, we haven't seen yet. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, that's just what I've been told. Um, but that is an, an interesting thing moving forward and maybe, uh, I, I don't know personally why you wouldn't do those in the Texas game, but maybe the, the game played out in a way that, that they didn't use those. And so that could be something I wouldn't be surprised if Alabama throws a few of those out uh, against Ole Miss. We talked about the defense at the beginning, more of a personnel question, and that doesn't really require a, a lot here. I'm just curious. When I think about Alabama and the dynasty over the last 15 years, I think about just the impactful defensive players they've had just one after the other, guys that were dominant, that you had to be aware of. Most recently, it was Will Anderson. You had to know where he was. You 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 couldn't take your eyes off of him. And so there would be plays where he wasn't involved in the play, and yet you knew because he was on the field, he was a big reason that play unfolded the way that it did. Um, they still had a lot of talent on defense. You see it. But is there a talent fall-off from the last few years, or is this a defense that you, at the end of the year you still expect them to be dominant? Um. Well, it's, it's a defense I think that looks pretty good. It's hard to find like someone like Will Anderson because I think he's been the best player in college football the past like two years, at least the most talented. Yeah, agreed. So 
yeah, it, it's it's tough. I, I think that there's there's players that you know will be game changing players. I think Deontay Lawson, the inside linebacker, is exactly what they need at, at that position um, for this defense. I think Dallas Turner. Um, He's been kind of streaky, but he had a good game against South Florida. We'll see if he can carry that over. Um, You know, I think Kool-Aid McKintry is one of the best cornerbacks in in the league. So you've got some, I think, potential first rounders there. You know, and I I think, you know, you really saw it's not the defense. It's not the reason why they've really been struggling. I know that they gave up those big plays against Texas, but uh, we were talking a little bit before the show. It's kind of like a pitcher where, you know, if you have to pitch with the bases loaded a bunch of times, you come in the next inning and, you know, your arm's already worn. It doesn't matter if you had a, a big pitch count or not. Those those situations where you have to come in and you're playing with a short field or you have to make these crucial stops, those wear on a defense yeah. regardless of how many plays they're out there. And I think at Texas, they were just worn down. Maybe, maybe it was mentally, maybe it was physically, but they were, um, I think that, you know, and and just how fast Texas was was moving too. So, um, oh, it's a great the an, it's there. a great analogy. Is a big difference between pitching, you know, with a eleven to one lead in the seventh yeah. inning, where you're just like, hey, here's fastball, go go for it. If you hit, if if you hit a home run, you hit a home run. I'll, I'll still be up nine. I'm just not gonna. We're just gonna go pitch here, as opposed to hey, coming in, you know, are you you're working the sixth inning with a one run lead and the bases are loaded with one out and every pitch is super high leverage and you get through it, but you used a lot of energy and then you come back out and you walk a guy and you know, you're in trouble all of a sudden again. There's a big difference in, in that. And I think that applies to defense. I don't think we think about it, but when you're playing defense where every single play could cost you the game, that that's mentally taxing as opposed to playing yeah. up 31 to nothing where if you have a busted assignment, you're going to get yelled at, but it's not costing you the game. And basically Alabama is the pitcher that knows it's, it's you know, right now with a with a team full of 250 hitters, you know I mean? So he knows he's not going to get much run support, you know? And so I think that the, the, the defense uh, – it does put a lot of pressure on him. And I think once the crack started to show against Texas, then things unraveled just because of the pressure of that. That's one thing though, that I think Old Miss can do in this game is move fast and just be relentless on offense. And if you get stopped, you know, you know, make some plays on defense. And, and I, I kind of think it was the same, the same sense of like, uh, Alabama was so good uh, on that that crazy game in 2020 that it just seemed like they were going to have the ball last and, you know, they were going to win. Well, if Ole Miss can just keep on, you know, stopping Alabama's defense, kind of the reverse of that game, uh, stopping, I'm sorry, stopping Alabama's offense, I, I think that it's offense, the old, I'm struggling through this one, but uh, the, the, the Ole Miss offense will be good enough to eventually break Alabama's defense if it can continuously frustrate Alabama on offense. Cause I just think that they'll have the same thing where um, the, the, the pressure of this game being close uh, with how fast Ole Miss runs on offense, I think eventually they'll catch um, Alabama sleeping on a, on a play or two and, and they'll be able to take advantage of that. And if Alabama is still a mess on when they have the ball, uh, I, I think that they can basically Ole Miss can replicate what Texas did. All right, well, as we start to wrap up, we'll go there. I know you think Ole Miss can win. If I told you Ole Miss won, the football gods came down and said, hey, uh, Tony, Ole Miss wins the game. How would you guess it sort of played out? It's got to be through a turnover. I think, you know, it'd have to be through things working the right way. I I think that, um, you know, you, you saw a lot of crafty things that, you know, Texas did with, you know, late tight end releases and screens and just different ways to catch Alabama um, 
you know, especially when they're moving fast, I think you can kind of slip some of those receivers, you know, undetected, maybe get a tight end that everyone thinks is a blocker, move them in as a, a pass catcher. I think Lane Kiffin's going to be able to to see what worked in those situations and, and kind of hit Alabama there. But I, I really think it would come down to if it's a close game, a turnover, like, like we saw in the Texas game where, you know, if Jalen Milrow is going to make a turnover in the fourth quarter and then, that you know, Ole Miss can either turn that into points on defense or come back out uh, and kind of make it a two possession game. I don't know if they'll look back at that point. So like, you know, if it's a, if Ole Miss is up by three and then Jalen Merrill throws a pick and then Ole Miss capitalizes with a touchdown and they go up by 10, Alabama shouldn't be out of the game, but I feel like this Alabama offense, you know, might at that point panic or fold or whatever you want to say. Uh, and that could be, you know, what we're talking about as an upset. So last thing, what do you, what do you expect Saturday? The the crazy thing is when I back when I thought Alabama was this big bad Alabama that was going to bully everyone I I had predicted that they were going to you know beat Texas and then just blow the doors off of USF and then come back home um, and, and be maybe overconfident against Ole Miss this was actually the sleeper game I had them losing one game all season and it was actually Ole Miss not because I thought the same uh, for different reasons I, I think I'm going to pick Ole Miss here but 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 for different reasons than I originally did I think you know. At one point, I thought this was just a game that I thought Lane Kiffin could maybe catch uh, Nick Saban overconfident and kind of bring Alabama back down to earth. But now I think it's a game where they can kind of kick them when they're down. And this is the the right time to play Alabama. You know, and I think normally you would say, oh, this is a terrible time to play Alabama because they're riled up. But I, I don't think Alabama has the 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 ammunition at the moment to just it's not one of those things where they're a sleeping giant and it's them against the world i don't know if they have that punch left in them you know if this is a you know they're bleeding you know if this is a if they're cut if this is a uh a boxing match and i think that this is the time to hit them because i think that they can maybe recover later on in the season but you know you could really they're, they're stumbling right now and an old miss could really go for a knockout blow tony as always man thanks so much for the time i really appreciate it yeah, man, anytime. Former Alabama linebacker Corey Reamer now with the Crimson Tide Sports Network. Kind enough to uh, join us a little bit as we talk about Ole Miss getting ready to head to Alabama for Saturday's showdown. Corey, uh, first of all, thanks so much for being with us. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, Neil. Looking forward to uh, – should be an interesting game with so far how this season started. Um, and Lane Kiffin is being Lane Kiffin and keeping it exciting during the week. He does that. That's for sure. Uh, <laughs> um, let, let me start here. I'm curious because you, if I if I've got the timeline of your career correctly, you signed with Mike Shula and ended up playing for Nick Saban for quite a bit of time. Correct? Yeah. So I had two years with Shula. He recruited me out of high school. Um, signed with him in '05 and uh, had '05 and '06 uh, with Shula. And then Saban comes in for 2007 season, and I had redshirted uh, my sophomore year for a knee injury. And so then I had three years left when Saban got there and finished in 09 um, with a, with a pretty good run, you know, yeah. national championship on the way out. Wasn't bad. No, that's not a bad way to finish it all. What was no. it like kind of a twofold question here? Cause I'm curious to get your perspective. Cause you'll, you'll, you'll be able to really, um, I would think have, have, have some thoughts here. What was it like to play for that Nick Saban? Obviously he's the same human being, but he's older now. And it's, yeah. I, hear, I hear people say, you know, Ryan Brown was telling me today, you know, there's a lot of people, former Alabama players that are like, hey, the guy that you see on the field now, I didn't play for that guy. I played for a different guy. 
What was it like to play for that Saban? And then how have you seen him change over the last 15, 16 years? Yeah, I think even when he first got hired, you know, the the mindset that he had coming in to that first season was even different from what he was in 2009. You know, he comes into a program that just went um, six and seven. It's a He's got a job to do of, of trying to get this team turned around pretty quickly. And the expectations and the style of coaching that we had from Shula to Saban was completely different. And Coach Shula was a phenomenal coach. And especially from an X's and O's standpoint, and uh, the players loved him. Uh, but in terms of micromanaging every little thing that a college player does, I'd say Coach Shula had more of like an NFL mindset where if you don't do the things that you're supposed to do, you know, he's used to being able to cut somebody and move it on. And so when Coach Saban shows up, He's he's a he's locked into every little detail, all the things that we're doing, the dress code, what we're wearing in the locker rooms to the practices to fourth quarter programs. And it's a grind because he's completely overhauling a team at that point. And, you know, he he's got such a high standard for himself that he knows what the recipe is for success. And so he commands a lot out of you. And I played for a high school coach that was kind of the same way. Rush Probst at Hoover. I mean, he was just always he knows how to win ball games and he knows what it takes to win ball games. And he's not going to let uh, anything slide because he knows as soon as he, you give an inch, somebody's going to take a mile, take advantage of it. So, you know, go into 2009, he, you know, 2007, it probably was not as much of a relationship that you had by 2009 with him because you'd been with him for a few years, but the standard and all the things that he asked all his players to do really never changed. And I spoke the other night about, what's different about college football now. And you've seen how people say that he's got a, a, a nicer side, a gentler side. He likes to interact with the players a little bit more. You see him doing all the fun things that are on social media. And that's just big, in my opinion, is really just because of the change in NIL, transfer portal, recruiting, how much uh, exposure and positive exposure you've got to have as a coach and especially now with Transfer Portal, you've got to manage your roster consistently, uh, not just recruiting, you know, the portal and, you know, or a freshman in high school or seniors in high school. And I think it's kind of had to – it's changed. And it's, I think it's an unfortunate thing because, like I said earlier, what he – what he's doing there is really building young men to be successful, you know, down the road. And it seems like, and he might not agree with this at all, but it does seem like this for across college football, he's not able to command or, uh, or ask the same things from the players as he used to, because he's trying to, I don't know if you want to say manage feelings or personalities, you know, he's always been great at coaching every single individual the way they need to be coached uh and it, it's different for every player i always respected him for that because he understood the psychology of coaching each individual how they respond you know can you yell at this guy can you get to talk to this guy kind of caught him a little bit to get the message across and now it's just like he i don't know if he's afraid of it as much as maybe i perceive it to be that way but it does seem like it makes it harder for him to uh, create this uh, this team concept of of holding the team to a standard to be able to have the same success because you just you you make one guy upset and he could be in the portal the next day. That's my take on it. Might not be accurate, but that's just what it seems like from the outside looking in. Yeah, it's. I, I think that's. I think that's the most logical explanation. I don't think <clears throat> it's this guy getting soft or whatever. I don't think that's the case. But I don't. 
the, the guy that used to lose his mind on the sideline, yeah. that kind of thing. And the hard nosed, I don't know that that works with today's kid as much. And I don't, yeah. and especially when, you know, you get guys that the moment something goes wrong, they can bolt, they can yeah. hop in the portal and go someplace and play. Yeah. You know, I talked to him at practice before the season started, just, we went down and watched and, and got to talk to him a little bit afterwards. And you can tell when you talk to him, when he's not having to coach these guys and he's just having, you know, candid conversations with us on the sideline, you can tell the guy's still as competitive as he ever has been. And he wants so badly for this, these group, this, every single team, every single year to understand what it takes to be successful at a program that's had, you know, a decade's worth of success and how we're the standard in college football. But it, it seems like, I don't know if he's got to pull the reins on himself a little bit because of, of all these other factors that are now a part of college football. And I think it's great that players are getting paid. And I think it's great that a, a player can move to a different school if it's a better opportunity. But what I think is created is, um, um, you know, the fight or flight response. It's, it's all just flight for a lot of these guys now. And Coach Saban understands that. And he's probably trying to manage it as best as he possibly can. And that might mean that he just has to tone back his – you know, the outbursts that he typically would have. And you always saw him when the team was playing well and would make mistakes was really when he would turn up the outbursts, you know, getting upset on the sideline, making those kinds of mistakes. And then if the team was playing poorly, he would have a little bit of a different approach and not have to – but he was still getting guys' faces and light them up. And I think that these kids need that, um, but he's not able to deliver it just because of the, the risk factor of, of what, what happens if you lose a guy in the middle of the season or they just go in the tank, you know, they just shut it down and stop really caring and looking forward to the next chapter. I assume that probably didn't happen to you too many times. You had a pretty good career there at Alabama, but I'm sure at some point you upset Nick Saban. What was, what was uh, the moment like? So he figured out pretty early that I could be yelled at and it didn't really phase, you know, give him that deer in the headlights look. And uh, he, he told me after I had graduated, you know, most of the time that I was yelling at you, it wasn't necessarily something that you did. Now, I made plenty of mistakes, definitely in practice. You asked Kirby, South and Sari, you know, Coach Saban. I was definitely deserving of, of plenty of the chewings that I got. Uh, but he always said, you know, I could give a message to somebody by screaming it at you, you know, and I was a part of the problem as well, but he couldn't directly. And that's what I was saying earlier about how he knows yeah. how to coach certain guys. Um, and there's a lot of people he knew that could handle that type of, of, of coaching of hard nose. I expect this from you and I'm going to get after you if you make a mistake and not everybody responded well to it. But, um, he, you know, he always said, though, if I'm not yelling at you, you should be nervous. So I always took it as a compliment if he's yelling at me. He's, he knows that I could do better. And he also said, too, a lot of times was, I want you to hear what I'm saying and not how I'm saying it to you. And so I learned early that I'm just getting the message. And it, it, it can't phase you because you, it would ruin your day. You know, it ruins a yeah. practice. It ruins a game if you let it eat you alive and you dwell on it. Um, and so it, it, that was something that he taught me, though. I, it was not something I had already learned before he got there it was kind of you know I evolved in in learning how to take his messages just you know not worried about the tone that he was <laughs> delivering delivering them to me I remember young Kirby Smart I bet the, I bet those were some uh God toe curling uh ass chewings 
Yeah, it was. I mean, and he was a guy that, you know, he was young and trying, he, he'd never been a coordinator before and he's making a name for himself. And he was always that, he was kind of that buffer between you and coach Saban because he was the guy that the players loved. He had all this energy and he was really leading the charge, but then he could turn it on a dime too and really just get after your ass. And, uh, and you kind of would take it, you know, it would just kind of take you back a little bit because coach Saban always was that way. And Kirby would be your your buddy, and then all of a sudden you're just getting chewed on. So it was always on, you know, a little bit more unexpected when he would do it. But it's the you know, and then he's your best friend as soon as it's over with, you know. And he he's encouraging you and wanting you to continue to get after it and practice. Uh, but yeah, those were those were some fun days. He's probably a little bit different now too. I mean, there are, it affects everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, let's talk about this Alabama team. You you do post game, you do some pregame stuff. Mm-hmm. You hear the fans a lot. You, you probably hear the fans more than most of the people. Um, there seems to be, from the outside looking in, and I've obviously talked to some people, almost like a panic around the Alabama fans a little bit, or certainly a concern that, hey, this season's not going to be like the last 15 or 16. To be the first, if, if Alabama were to lose Saturday, it'd be the first time in Saban's tenure that two, two losses in September. Um, is the panic justified or is are people overreacting to a Texas uh, in a weird game against USF? Yeah, I think the USF game is something that you kind of have to just take it for what it was. And it seemed like it was – you don't know what all is going on in the locker room. There's rumors that they're – you know, how Jalen Milrow responded last week during practice. And then Coach Saban talks about both of the guys that played against USF were the ones that had the better weeks of practice – and I think it was an opportunity to, you had to give those guys, what do we really have with both of these backups? And we just got to give them some live reps. Some people are just better on Saturdays than they are in practice. Now, that's not the way he likes to operate because he thinks the way you practice during the week is how you show up and perform on Saturdays. Uh, but with all that went happened in the Texas game with Jalen Milrow, and you know what this team looks like and what the bread and butter is going to be of this team or it was expected to be going into the season was going to be the running game and a lot of hype around this offensive line and how they're going to be able to blow guys off the line of scrimmage and the running game is going to carry this team and get us in, you know, short yardage situations that are a lot more manageable than third and longs and the two turnovers and the mistakes that were made, you know, I think that it made him have to really reevaluate and see, all right, we got to give Buckner and Ty Simpson opportunities to go out there and prove if they might carry a team. But I think there's also a locker room effect that he's having to manage of which quarterback is the locker room behind. And there's a lot of different dynamics that seem to be in play for this team this year. And uh, it's hard to pinpoint uh, what this is going to look like going forward. There's a lot of reasons for concern because it's not just a quarterback problem. You know, you've got an offensive line that is, um, and I think they're getting scrutinized the most. And some people say it's not justified, but the expectation was so high for this group coming in. That's why they're really taking the 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 brunt of the criticism. And you've got a left tackle that's a freshman. And I don't remember when the last time Alabama had, especially under Coach Saban, had a freshman starting at left tackle. I would probably venture to say that it was Andre Smith back in 2007 and 2008, who yeah. was a special, special player, you know, and he ended up being a first round draft pick, but 
throwing a guy like uh, Jaden Proctor out there with as a freshman and asking him to go against that Texas defensive line, who I think is probably one of the best defensive lines that we're going to see. But you can tell there's there's uh, mechanical problems with some of these guys, just technique wise of what they're how they're getting beat, why they're getting beat and a communication uh, between them and the running backs, you know, you know, fixing protections or adjusting protections when defenses are shifting. Um, and then you look at the defense. The defense has played well. I think they had a great – they're probably their best game against South Florida on, on Saturday. But there's still – there's a lot of big plays that are being given up. You know, it's a lot of things that fans are, are nervous about or are, are concerned about are justified because you just haven't seen it from Saban teams in the past. You know, when you're giving up five big plays against Texas that are over 30 yards, you're giving up five sacks. I mean, you just know and you're, and you're losing a turnover battle. You know, those are the things that over the last, you know, 15 years he's been there has always been the staples of what he talks about uh, that it takes to play winning football. And those things are continued to be a problem each Saturday that we've seen so far. So can they be fixed? You know, I hope so. That I, I've still got a lot of faith in Coach Saban to figure out what the recipe for success is if these players are buying in and trying to improve. And, uh, and, and there's a lot that go, falls on Coach Saban's shoulders. Uh, but it falls on these players too. I mean, you got to these guys have got to get after it and figure out what the problem is and try to find the best solution moving forward. Because we got this next, you know, seven games is going to be a gauntlet. Luckily for us, it seems like the SEC West is having you know one of the years that you probably didn't expect for them to have. So it's still wide open. Um, but if we continue to make the same mistakes that we've made up to this point, there's going to be some games where it's going to be hard to walk away with a win. I could keep you much longer, but I am curious. You're there in Alabama. You've been around the program. You were there when Lane Kiffin was the offensive coordinator. Obviously, Lane likes Twitter and uh, yeah. likes to Lane likes to poke. Were you a surprised that he kind of poked the bear a little bit this week? And then along those lines, how do you think that all of the stuff, defensive coordinator, the castle crumbling, all of that stuff, mm -hmm. how do you think that gets reacted to inside that building? Yeah. Um, not surprised at all. You know, he's kind of done this ever since he's been at Ole Miss. And I always look back at even when he was at Tennessee, um, before he had even been a part of Coach Saban's staff, and he had us on the ropes in 2009. And, yeah. Mount, you know, Terrence Cody goes and blocks a kick for us to win the game against Tennessee, who had no business being in that ball game. And he's – I just remember him walking across the field to shake Coach Saban's hand, and he had the biggest grin on his face, you know, because he was like, I almost had you. And it's, I, so I think this is – this means a lot to him. And he does it every single year, it seems like. There's always some headline clips uh, from him. And he knows it just kind of frustrates some of the, the people in the uh, facility down in Tuscaloosa that they've got to answer these questions, that he's just drumming up. Uh, I think it definitely is, is on his part on purpose to just cause – uh, and I heard y'all talking, I heard you talking to Brown about it, you know, earlier when you were on with him about what would be the bigger moment for him as making a college football playoff or, or beating Coach Saban. And I kind of agree with Brown. I mean, I think at the end of the day, the answer is making a playoff, but it yeah. might cause him a little pause. He wants to be a guy that, that has a, that can say that he's got a notch on Coach Saban's belt for sure. Yeah. I told those, those guys, um, for anybody that didn't listen, I said it, it would be the playoff, but I think his follow-up question would be, is there any way, please, that, that this can include Alabama? 
Yeah. I think if you told him, hey, you can either beat Alabama and Tuscaloosa or lose to LSU or beat LSU in Oxford next week, it's a no-brainer. He'd, yeah. He'd take the win over Bama and take the L to LSU and then carry on from there. I, I think I think you could offer him a lot of different things, and he would he – would, Yeah. It's, it, which is the one thing I always kind of wonder about Kiffin in this game is does it mean too much, right? Is it, yeah. Is it too important? Because you know this, you played, and when the game's over, you do have to move to the next game. I mean, there's a human yeah. thing to linger on it, but you have to move on because the next team, and, and certainly in this case, the next team's capable of beating you also, and that's, you know, LSU. Do you think it's like a respect thing for his time with Coach Saban, or do you think it's just a – this is his kind of his shtick. I mean, he's always been a Twitter guy. It's not like he just comes out of yeah. the woodworks uh, for this game, but you know, it, it's always funny how pointed some of his some of his messages is messages so are. I've kind of got a working theory on it now that I'm starting to flesh together over the course of the last couple of years that I think I'm on to something. I could be completely wrong, and Lane's never going to tell me, so I'm never going to know. Yeah, but my theory is that he a has a a mad respect for. Yeah. And at the same time, is a little pissed about how it ended. Yep. Um, you know, a little probably pissed about he didn't get to coordinate that game. Maybe he thinks mm-hmm. he could have been a difference in that game. Um, just some stuff like that. I, I think it's a little bit of everything. I, I think there was something to the, you know, he was going to go to LSU with that Orgeron. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, I just think that's a lot of stuff, right? He got, yeah. he got fired. He got hired and fired really by, by Saban and not really fired. It was just kind of, Hey, go on and go. Yeah. It's time to go move to, on, go yeah. to FAU. But I think that stung a little bit and I think that has stuck with him and I think he wants to win the game. And, and but I do think the overriding thing is that he has mad respect for Saban and at some point wants to be able to put that notch on the wall that, Hey, I yeah. too. And then I think the other thing and Brown and them touched on this is, you know, for the longest time, nobody had done it. And then Kirby did it. And then Jimbo Fisher did it. And then Steve Sarkeesian did it. And so now, you know, he's not one of the gang anymore. And yeah. so I, I think he, I think he wants that as well. Yeah. I see. I always, and then look, uh, here's the, here's the other thing, Corey, if, if for Ole Miss to ever get where Lane says he wants Ole Miss to get, you, you have a couple of obstacles in front of him. And, and, yeah. and the biggest one is Alabama. He's beaten every other team in the SEC West during his tenure at Ole Miss. Yeah. He has not beaten Alabama. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely uh, – and this is the the standard or the uh, the bar that Coach Saban has set for the West. And so it's definitely something that you feel like you kind of make it as a coach if you can get that under your belt. You know, and I think the West has, you know, five, seven, eight years ago, the West was not as strong as it is right now. And Alabama just had this run of dominance. But I always uh, – I think about it in a couple of different ways. You know, I, in some ways I think it's a respect factor. And it, it kind of makes me think back of, like, the way that young boys like to flirt with girls. You know, it's not by complimenting them. It, it's kind of like going and terrorizing them a little yeah. bit. Yeah. And it's like – so it's a, a sign of respect or that you appreciate who he is as a person. Maybe it's some of, some of that. Or it's, like you said – he's a little frustrated by the way things went. Um, and it probably that could be a, be playing a part of it too. But, uh, you know, and I think Coach Saban talked about these losses that he's got to some of this, you know, assistance and the record that it was, that it was a lot of times it was uh, most of the wins were in times when programs were rebuilding. But now you've got guys that have been at programs long enough to really build up some solid opponents. And 
and Lane Kiffin's got a good amount of talent over there. And I think he's a great coach and he knows exactly how to give a lot of Alabama teams fits by his scheme uh, and finding mismatches. I think he's a phenomenal coach. And I imagine there's, you know, at some point in time, it's going to happen. And, uh, and, and he's got a lot of talent over there this year. If, if they can put all the pieces of the puzzle together and if we come out and, and make the mistakes that we've made in the past few weeks that were you're giving – if you're giving Lane Kiffin more possessions than he should be getting in a game, that just is a recipe for a disaster. So, I mean, if you muff a punt and give them a short field or if you're throwing interceptions in their territory or in, in Alabama's territory and you're giving him those kinds of opportunities – He's a guy that can really take advantage of it, just like Steve Sarkeesian in Texas did. All right, last thing, Corey, and I really appreciate your time here. Um, how do you see this game playing out? Um, I think it's going to be uh, like we just talked about. I mean, I think it's – you know, you hope that this team, after all the noise that they've they've heard this week and over the weekend and all the criticism, and you heard about this players-only meeting that happened. And in my opinion, those things can sometimes work well to your advantage. And it just depends on who's leading that team, you know, players only meeting. What's the message in that meeting? Is the rest of the locker room there to buy in to what the message is that's being shared? It could go one of two ways. And we've, I've seen it work in a positive way. And I've seen it where some guys are just like, man, I don't really want to be in this players only meeting. And it really deteriorates a locker room. So it'll be, I, I, it's hard to know. That's the hardest part about, this team right now is I'm not sure if I can really predict of what team shows up on Saturday. Uh, and it'll be, I can't wait to see what happens. Jalen Milrose obviously got to hit, have a little extra confidence now that he's kind of been named a starter. And if you look at it as, Hey, look, they tried to find somebody else to take my spot. And I'm obviously the guy. Now it's my team. Let's go play, take command of the huddle, uh, demand respect from everybody in there. Let's go, let's go play. And I think the way that they finished the game against South Florida has got to be a confidence booster by putting together some long drives. Maybe that's the spark they needed to have some confidence up front. Um, but I think Lane's going to bring everything that he possibly can to try to, to, to have big plays. And he's got a lot of weapons over there. He's got a good quarterback that they've really relied heavily, you know, with his legs to make a lot of plays. And you saw last week the quarterback from South Florida was able to bust some big runs with his feet. And it's something that's always given the defenses at Alabama problems just because of the man concepts that we try to run. So, um, you know, you hope that they show up and this run game gets going. You finally – it seems like you finally found a running back uh, for Alabama to go out there that can can establish the run and get us in, in short yardage situations to this offense might be able to open up some more. And, and hopefully Jalen Milrow just tries to make plays with his feet. I mean, he's – you try not to do too much with your arm. If you've got a lane, take off and run. Uh, that's, that's one of your better qualities, and it keeps us, you know, with possession of the ball instead of throwing into coverage and, and turning the ball over. So it can go a lot of different ways. I mean, I, I uh, saw that we're seven-point favorites, and I'm like, man, this is – I don't I, – I'm not sure about that at this point in time. Corey Reamer, really appreciate the time very much. Thanks for doing it, and hopefully we can catch you again sometime. Yeah, absolutely, Neil. Appreciate it. All right, thanks. My thanks to all of our guests today, Ryan Brown, Tony Sukulis, Corey Reamer, for their time here on MPW Digital. 
Hope you uh, enjoyed those interviews. Get you ready for Alabama and Ole Miss again Saturday, 2.30 in Oxford. We'll have full postgame coverage at rebelgrove.com and also here at MPW Digital. Hope you enjoy your weekend. Be safe if you're traveling to and from Tuscaloosa. And uh, we will talk to you on Saturday. Take care.